May 20th, 1873. Levi Strauss receives a patent for blue jeans, and America discovers butts. Welcome to The Revisionist. I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. And we have a scorcher for you tonight. I don't know why I said it like mm. that. Uh, we have a great guest, one of one of Denver's finest comics, one of my favorite people in town. Please welcome Jason Keys to the show. Ah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, Brian. I appreciate it, Zach. Yeah, mm-hmm. thank you for being Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you, Zach, for leaving on your camera so I could see your face when you react to the stupid thing I oh. said. I forgot that I left my camera on. <laughs> you guys uh, didn't, so it's really like uh, just an uneven disp- distribution of information. Yeah, yeah. I'm wearing it's a exactly suit. exactly what fucking Mark's talking about. I, come I can't as... see it. I, I, I can barely see you. I have to peek over, so uh, we're, we're kind of we're well, in the same I'm dr- boat. I'm dressed extraordinarily professionally, I can assure you. Uh, you guys, I assume, are dressed... Either naked or in like I don't know, sweat I do not, jumpsuits. I do not look like I'm at a happy hour right now, so uh-huh. I do not look like you. Uh huh. Um, Did you, were yeah. you also going to say sweat jumpsuits? Did you just turn off your camera? <laughs> I did just turn off my camera. I was uncomfortable with this invasion awesome. of privacy. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what's worse—the unequal thing or us. To Listen, insist you turn your camera back on. I probably wouldn't have noticed. You guys kind of snowed into yourself on that particular <laughs> exchange. Is that a verb? Is that a thing now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, well, Zach, what anyways, are we doing here? <laughs> if you are new to the show, uh, this is a comedy history podcast in which uh, each uh, episode we have a guest on and one of the three of us recounts the real history of a person or event and another person brings a fictitious bullshit bananas made up history of the same person or event and at the end we vote on which becomes the real history going forward and last episode we did one of my personal favorites Olga of Kiev mm-hmm. um, a lady who took no shit and killed a lot of Drevlins Whole lot, um, of whole lot of Drevlins, which sounds like an alien from Star Trek, but they were like real people. So <laughs> yeah, don't, no, they were actual people. <laughs> yeah, don't get that like, oh, it's okay because it's they're okay. okay. No. they're just Romulans. No, no, no. no. <laughs> the soldiers um, on the Death Star, etc. To be, they did seem like dicks, but they were real people. No, they ripped her husband in half with a tree. Yeah, so um, they did, weren't like angels. But did he have it coming? <laughs> that's <laughs> dude i mean i feel like most likely if he was a a white straight male king in the 16 in the 1900s probably i'm sure he was a dick to most people not even the 19 the 900s <laughs> i meant the 900s yeah um <laughs> Which were but, a thousand times worse than the 1900s, most likely. Yes, most likely. But so Jamaica, he did have it coming. Probably. We didn't really dig into him so much as we dug into Olga, who was just a pure That doesn't badass. even sound right. You dug yeah. into Olga. <laughs> um, yum, yum. But I'm happy to report that Janae Burris' alternate history did win, which was kind of like the real history of murder and, you know, burning birds as weapons. But also included uh olga being a transplant from i think michigan and also 
Gary, Indiana. Indiana. One and of the Jackson 16 or 19, okay. was it? One of the Jackson kids. Okay. Oh, yes. there was. She was one of the Jackson 16, and she discovered the new world, even though she was born here, which is a little weird, and discovered the Earth was round. So basically anything that people erroneously attribute to Christopher Columbus. <laughs> Funny. Uh and of course, some great Joe Jackson slams in there. Sure, Joe. <laughs> um, but Zach, who are we talking about this episode? Um, let me look it up because I didn't have to do the research part. <laughs> when I don't have to do the research part, the guy who said Doctor Doctor Livingston, I presume, but I don't know what his actual name was. Uh, Henry Morton Stanley. <laughs> Henry Morton Stanley. He sounds like uh, an indust like a robber baron in the making. In in a that's very accurate, actually. Um, this is actually going to be the first in a series of a few episodes on um, sort of 19th and 20th century colonialism, which is sort of our run-up to talking about World War I. Hmm. Um, so this is a person I've read about in a couple books, um, and I think he's sort of... I'll get into it, but he's sort of emblematic of a lot of the attitudes, I think, around that era of colonialism. So racism is, yeah. I'm guessing, going to I be mean, maybe a theme? Among, uh, maybe a like little. Capitalism. Uh-huh. And okay. marketing and, also. And imperialism, gotcha. All the mm. classics. All, yeah, all, all the, the classics. The things that built a lot of countries. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that, that hot take should tell you I'm doing the actual <laughs> history this time. <laughs> Uh, and Jason, you're doing the alternate. Absolutely, I I could not have done the real history on this white man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Incredibly well documented. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Um, but if we're all ready, yep. All right. Uh, so John Rollins was born in Wales in 1841. Uh, he never knew his father, and. His mother left him behind with his grandparents, who really, really promptly took him to an orphanage, because they were like, we don't, we couldn't deal with that. <laughs> um, so at age seventeen, he's working as like a a, a meat boy in Liverpool. <laughs> oh, a meat boy! <laughs> a meat boy! Yeah. <laughs> uh, like a boy who delivers meat, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> like like a piece of delivery man in a porn yeah yeah that was the equivalent just before pizza was invented yeah would you like some meat it was a very it was an unsubtle age all right his life was later adapted into a popular indie game there's a game called super meat boy in case Uh, you were curious i could have sworn you were about to make a big sausage pizza.com joke um, no, I have uh, more class than that. <laughs> I just make indie game jokes that apparently nobody gets. It was a very popular game. Oh, sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so he uh, he's making a delivery to a ship when the captain's like, hey, do you want a job? And he's like, okay. And so he ends up on a, on a ship out of Liverpool, which is how he ends up living in New Orleans. Uh, and there he meets a man uh, named Henry H. Stanley, who was a wealthy merchant. Uh, the story goes that uh, Stanley was sitting out on his porch, and John Rollins came up to him uh, and asked him the question, Do you need a boy, sir? 
mm-hmm. and <laughs> was immediately hired. Propositioned, <laughs> huh? Which is like, I guess, the style at the time of how children got jobs. This is how you proposition yep. an older gentleman. <laughs> Do you need a boy? <laughs> wow, yeah. I yeah. can't imagine my response if someone came up to me and said, do you need a boy, sir? But I would immediately assume I was being filmed. <laughs> I would look for a van. <laughs> I would loudly say no, and I would be the one yelling stranger danger. <laughs> he becomes his 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 boy, servant, child. Um, he's like basically... Okay. Stand- so, so far... I'm just going <laughs> to recap. We've got in this story, meat boys. Meat boys. And boy servant childs. I feel like the Marquis de Sade maybe has a co-authorship on this one. Honestly, it gets just like so much darker that I feel like I had to put this stuff in up top just to be like, hey. Hey, it's fun. Sometimes sometimes things are fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so he's basically adopted by Stanley. He takes his last name. Uh, and after he changes it, uh, John Rollins changes his name to Henry Morton Stanley. Uh, and after that, he starts like rewriting parts of his biography. Oh, um, like a great Gatsby kind of thing. Yeah, essentially. Um, like when he talks about leaving the orphanage, uh, he just basically, in reality, he just basically left. But he starts telling the story that he uh, escaped over the wall after leading a rebellion of orphans against a very harsh supervisor. Okay. I mean, I like his little rolled doll fictionalized version, but I prefer this orphanage with very lax checkout standards. <laughs> Just don't show back up. Yeah, it's yeah. really more of a hostel at a certain point. Like yeah, it's a flop beat. house, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Glad he's gone. I always wanted his bed. That's it. Um, and basically, people know that this story uh, is full of shit. Like, after he becomes famous, a lot of the orphans who lived at the orphanage with him uh, talked about how the person he said was, like, a harsh supervisor was, like, kind of just normal and that uh, Henry Stanley was basically a teacher's pet. Mm. Um, but anyway, he winds up in New Orleans, and uh, at the outbreak of the Civil War, he joins the Confederate Army, uh, and he's mm. captured at the Battle of Shiloh, and while he's in uh, a prison camp, enlists in the Union Army, um, and then like two weeks later, he's di- discharged due to il- illness, and then he enlists in the Union Navy. Um, which he eventually deserts, but he's believed to be the only person in the Civil War to have served in the Confederate Army, the Union Army, and the Union Navy um, because he doesn't... I don't know that he actually has beliefs, but anyway. I do. I like his spineless sort of <laughs> Hans Landa, Aaron Very Burr cockroachy, right? Yeah. A blank slate. Okay, I can... Start I can over. I will unto him. Um... So at this point, he basically starts freelancing, uh, like writing articles during the Indian Wars. Um, and he attracts the attention of James G. Bennett, who was the editor of the New York Herald. Um, and like they start writing articles together. And there's this like super ostentatious story where um, there's a man, Dr. Uh, Dr. David Livingston, who was a British explorer 
who was exploring uh, <laughs> dumb tautology um, <laughs> who got lost uh, like it was believed in Zanzibar which is modern day Tanzania and there's this huge quest to go find him Zach? Yes Okay cool <laughs> Sorry gonna edit that out uh, my computer was doing something um, there's this quest to go find Livingston and uh, Stanley said that Harold, uh, that the Herald editor, uh, Bennett, I already forgot his name, telegraphed him and was like, I need to send you to Zanzibar. You must find Stanley. When it was like um, probably a little less dramatic than that because Stanley fabricated a lot of his books. Yeah. Uh, and like he was very focused on building his reputation and building his brand. He was like, he brought to colonialism the idea of like 20th century marketing almost right. in a way. I'm getting like a very, I feel like this is going to be a rather reference that falls on deaf ears, but a very Gilderoy Lockhart vibe off of this guy. Oh, really? You think no one would get that reference? You don't know Super Meat Boy. Who I don't know how freak is I, I, I also have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. Gilderoy Lockhart? Who is that? He is a popular character in the popular book series, Harry Potter. He's it's not a popular character. Popular. He's a character. Very, very. He features I, heavily in only one book. <laughs> like, look, anything below like Draco Malfoy or maybe a couple professors, I will not understand. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you're depriving yourself, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Stanley heads to uh, Tanzania with um, about 190, 200 people. Um, and his quest lasts eight months. He, like, very famously finds Dr. Livingston. And in what is probably another fabricated incident, uh, like, his first words to him are Dr. Livingston, I presume, which is, like, fucking the most British thing. Um, but all the other Europeans on the expedition died. Uh, mm. And no one ever bothered to interview, like, the the Africans that they had forced to, like, be their porters and, like, carry shit and do all the other work for them. So Stanley's account of the journey is the only thing that survives. Um, How like, convenient. Yeah, right. Mm. Um, Livingston, at, this is at a time during like British exploration in particular uh, that Britain was like very heavily condemning uh, the Arabs for engaging in the slave trade, but not necessarily spain or because this is after the civil war uh and britain had already uh abolished slavery uh but not necessarily condemning like spain or portugal or other europeans or like brazil which had the largest slave population in the world no one in britain ever condemned them but they would just say we need to uh we need to teach the arabs a lesson and not because they're bad for doing exactly what we're doing um sorry i this guy make i this guy. Um, I hate him. I, hate him. Uh, <laughs> I probably should reveal by it. But uh, later he goes on another quest through, uh, through Central Africa. He traverses Africa from east to west. Uh, well, there he maps a river uh, trying to find the source of the Nile, uh, which he eventually discovers this is actually the Congo River, um, mm. which... 
his expedition there left with 356 people and only 114 returned. Um, like, he killed at least hundreds of people, like no one ever counted. Um, he did write in his journal at one point during the journey, quote, uh, we have attacked and destroyed 28 large towns and three or four score small villages. Um, he was very, he was like very thin skinned. He once opened fire on a group of people at a riverbank because he thought they were making fun of him. Oh. Mm. Yeah. Um, were they? <laughs> I mean, they keep be. they keep clicking at me. <laughs> what is going on? You all saw that. They all pull out your rifles. They gave me a look. And like the only, at this point in the in the journey, the only like African voices recorded were recorded by Stanley himself. Um, hmm. And a lot of, again, they had a large uh, contingent of uh, Africans forced into uh, being porters because the way they would navigate the river is just don't want to say slavery, do you? Well, no, it's slavery, <laughs> but like, like porter portage. Just like what they were doing is so the act of porting. Yeah, brutal. I get it. I get it. Yeah, um, still slaves. No, still <laughs> slaves. No, definitely slavery. Uh, <laughs> like the the boat they were forced to carry, like the largest one was about fifty four feet long and weighed about three tons. And when people were sick, um, when people were sick with smallpox or fatigue, he wouldn't let them rest or leave them behind. He would make them carry until they dropped basically um, huh. so he uh he campaigned to explore more of the congo but no european country would take him up on it until uh king leopold ii of belgium uh said he would support him uh so leopold sends him up the congo to build roads and build trading posts uh for what was called the uh, euphemistically the Congo Free State, uh, which was run entirely by a private corporation owned by King Leopold, um, which he ran for, I think, like 30 years, basically. But Stanley built a lot of the infrastructure for that. Um, and he tricked, like the treaty he gave to the local chiefs, uh, which a lot of people who are not, not familiar with written word, let alone English or legalese, uh, basically said they would give the chiefs one piece of cloth a month in exchange for all of their land and uh, the ability to enslave their people. Um, and so, like, in the Congo... Um, like, there was no census before 1924, so it's hard to estimate, like, how many people died. But most academics agree that uh, the population was reduced by, uh, quote, at least half, which, based on, um, based on the 1924 census, is about 10 million people. Um, hmm. And well. so after... 
like after he left that, he leads another expedition to uh, the British were saying that their governor in Sudan, a man named Emin Pasha, was under attack by uh, an Islamic insurgent group, uh, which uh, turned out to not be so true as the other thing. Um, so again, 389 people go with him, more than half die. Um, like, it didn't need to happen. He, uh, a practice that happened in the Congo that happened again here is that he, um, they would hold people's family hostage to get them to work for them. Um, and, um, another thing that he may have been responsible for was introducing, uh, what's called sleeping sickness. Uh, which is a parasite, basically, that wasn't, like, native to the area, so no one had any immunity to it. Um, what a fun character you've picked today, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we had slavery, but maybe we didn't have genocide. Oh, we did have some genocide. Well, yeah. at least they didn't do the full Lord's Resistance army. To oh, they did actually do that. <laughs> yes. Well, at least he didn't introduce a sickness that killed. Oh, wait again on that also. <laughs> but maybe there wasn't any Islamophobia. Oh, wait, there's also a little bit of Islamophobia. <laughs> I mean, I think a little bit is very generous <laughs> on your part. Um, so after this, he's elected to parliament. Um, Absolutely. As uh, a liberal. <laughs> to be yep. fair, yeah, at the time, that was a pretty solid... He didn't, like, lie about any of that to the British people. They probably read the record straight and were like, yeah, Makes that represents Britain at the time. Yeah. Um, there was, There's a horrifying horrifying and story to be frank because Theresa may is the prime minister now maybe it represents britain now pretty well too <laughs> Theresa may slam um there's a horror like i mean it's all like a very horrible story but there's a particular one where a man on his expedition uh jameson who is like who was like a member of the jameson whiskey family mm. um who Apparently, like, can I just imagine, please tell me this is a story where this man sees something unbelievable while he is drunk, looks at his bottle and then throws it over his shoulder uh, in a vow to stop drinking because of how unbelievable this sight is. It, no, it's more a story of me like reading this and doing that thing. Than oh, okay. Him actually doing it. So this was. I'm glad that at least somebody got to throw their bottle over their shoulder in disbelief. As we all know, Brian is extremely drunk when he does his research. Yeah, yeah of course. But no more. Not after this. Um, basically, he um, he he forced a group of people to eat an 11-year-old girl uh, so he could document how it was done. Well, so... Um, that happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no comment? <laughs> yeah, there's literally nothing to follow that with. That's the, why I put it at the end. The revisionist does not condone eating children? <laughs> what Do about adults? Need, is this a PSA? That I depends. Mean, That's situational. <laughs> I mean, 
Craigslist post if you're both consenting. That's... I suppose. <laughs> um, so Stanley died in 1904. Um, sadly, uh, in his bed, surrounded by family. Uh, was the bed on fire? Nope. <laughs> nope. And a the cont- family also a on fire? Death. <laughs> I didn't because... do anything wrong. <sighs> Peace. <laughs> yeah. Um, I should say a lot of my um, source material for my version of events came from the book King Leopold's Ghost by Adam Hochschild. Um, and I reverted to that book, which I, I think is a great book and highly recommend. Because the Wikipedia article on Stanley is clearly written by someone who's kind of an apologist for him. Um, mm, okay. Uh, basically, they make the argument that, well, he fabricated a lot of his stuff in the book, so we don't know if he necessarily killed all the people he says he killed in his own book. Um, which I just... Uh, I can't even <laughs> process that. Um but yeah, so that's like I said, to me Henry Morton Stanley represents a lot of this era of colonialism in that it's the same brutality that was applied to the earlier colonial era era, like the fifteenth century, sixteenth, seventeenth century. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they just kind of put it under a nicer name and a more I mean, if it's not broke. A, a, a bunch of lies on top of it, like a kind of a mythological story about finding Dr. Livingston, but it's underneath the same old horrible shit that had been going on for centuries. Yeah. Uh, also, I just realized I still file this podcast under comedy every time, even when it's not at all appropriate. Yeah, you're going to put a trigger warning at the beginning of this. It's going to say trigger warning everything. <laughs> <laughs> all of them. <laughs> Oh, oh, wait, like, not spiders. Somehow we skipped spiders. Oh, yeah, there are probably spiders. Oh, yeah, okay, now we can add it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now I'm seriously just reconsidering World War One, even, too. <laughs> no, 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 Trenchfoot will be a delightful <laughs> We'll come up with, like, a fun oh. new way to rebrand Trenchfoot. It's the hottest new dance craze. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the dampest dance craze. Mm-hmm. See, we're already having fun. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Well, uh, Jason, if you're ready with the alternate. History. If I'm ready. Oh, man. Okay, let's see how this goes. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. This, this, this is the alternate version, actually the true story. Um, Henry Morton Stanley, born on March 23rd in the year 2471. <laughs> was the famous time traveler sent back from the future to change the tide of the dark war known to have decimated the European ancestry. No one knows the beginning of the war, but it was primarily the European Confederation versus the African consortium being one of the last hopes utilizing the technology of time travel, the European Confederation in secret deployed agents to go to specific events in history with a concerted effort to alter the timeline to ensure that the European Confederation would not be annihilated. That already sounds very European. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> Henry Morton Stanley, given name, was Henry just... Hank Stanley Morton. <laughs> <laughs> This the is youngest just, child. his imperialism is now temporal in nature. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
it's like if Doctor never Who stops. was actually a traditional British person, <laughs> where he would just go to various places and take over and in- introduce disease. Oh man, here's a disease from the future. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, all right. Hank Stanley Morton, uh, the youngest child of Jonathan Morton, distant relative of the founder of Morton Salt. <laughs> mm-hmm. His mother died in 2475 when Hank was a young boy in an attack of a major weapons facility located in what is present day Geneva, where his mother was a respected engineer working with a rare element called trillium found deep within Africa. Oh, trillium. I was hoping for unobtainium. I, I thought about unobtainium, but. Ah, I was going for does vibranium. It, does it vibranium? But yeah. you have more. You're a better writer than James Cameron. Is the problem? <laughs> Trillium was known for its ability to create powerful weapons that could destroy large civilizations with very little radiation output. That would immediately make the land livable, which would have been an important turning point in the Dark War by allowing the European Confederation to burrow deeper into the enemy territory. However, after the attack, the last remaining elements of Trillium were lost. It was a victory for the enemy. Hank's early years were spent with his father, a respected lieutenant in the war. As all young boys during this militarized era, he received military instruction, learning all the major battles in history and tactics used to win. However, it was during Hank's instruction at the age of 19 during officer commissioning school that he met the eccentric military physicist John Bond Williams. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Also, I'm sorry. I'm just quickly Googling Trillium to make sure it was was or was not real. Oh, really? Is it real? Uh, no. It's no. Just like a, but, I mean, yes. Yes. Wait, something. Anyway, I'll edit that part out. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so, I'm just... John Bond Williams, I'm assuming, is somehow related to both John Bon Jovi and John Williams, composer of the Star Trek score, <laughs> Star Star Wars, I should say. It's, it's all it's all all combined. You got okay, it. gotcha. All right. They they maybe they made this is the they, this is the future. This is sure. the future. This encounter is the one that has re that has rewritten every timeline since then. Mister Williams was creating a weapon in secret, which was no secret to anybody at the school. But what? <laughs> <laughs> sorry uh but what was this weapon hank later recounted that it was on a dare that he should sneak into the restricted area to see the weapon he was able to sneak into the facility and make it all the way to the weapon upon seeing the weapon he noticed it was not an explosive device as he was confused and trying to ascertain the true use of the weapon mr williams walked in and said beautiful isn't she hank replied Yes, but I have no idea what this is. I've never seen anything like it. What is it? What is it? That is the question that changed the entire timeline. (laughs) 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 Mr. Williams then told Hank of the opportunity to change the tide in the war, not in anything that was done during the present, but specific points in history that have affected the outcome of the current timeline. Williams explained to Hank that they have already begun experimenting and noticed minimal changes as the timeline will correct itself over time. But that if they were able to send back exactly 316 people at different points in history, they could overcome every attempt of the natural order to restore itself. While this seemed insane, Williams, a blatant homosexual, preyed on... (laughs) 
preyed on Hank's young mind and used sexual favors to gain the confidence of the young man and eventually convince Hank to be one of the 316. <laughs> Before traveling back in time, his mission had to be set out. He would need supplies, influence in the past, and need to be in certain places at certain times to ensure the success of his mission. While it was a one-way trip, he needed to coordinate with different individuals that are set up in different fronts of the war. The only downside to this temporal jump into the past was only your consciousness could go, could go back. Hank, knowing the risks, felt the needs of the many outweighed the needs of the few and began his journey to 1857 where he took over the consciousness of a teenage orphan by the name of John Rollins. John Rollins. Whatever it is. is. I don't know. Of course, if you're going to take over someone's body, make sure it's a teenage orphan. Oh, yeah. Nobody can know the difference. After There's subjugating a reason the, the protagonist in every popular book or movie is a teenage orphan. They're just, they have the best pro- prospects for heroism and, and fortune. Yeah, yeah, things always work out well. For work out well yeah. for teen orphans. That's it. Yeah, yeah teen Harry orphans. Potter. Oliver Twist. Come on. <laughs> Everybody wants to be a teen orphan. <laughs> Teens, kill your parents. Kill them. Be an orphan. <laughs> That's why that popular magazine, Teen Orphan, sells so well. (laughs) (laughs) Orphan fancy, yeah. Teen Orphan. Orphan Orphan B. Where's the new issue of Teen Orphan coming out, Headmaster? (laughs) You know, I said Orphan Beat, and I immediately felt like it was about abusing orphans. (laughs) It was written for cruel orphanage owners. Turn to page 63 where you'll see how to build your own dungeon. <laughs> My favorite, of course, Orphan Pravda. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. Orphan Lips. <laughs> All right. Uh, after subjugating the consciousness of John Rowlands, he took it upon himself to begin making plans to travel to New Orleans to meet with James Speak, another uh, another of the 316 that had been set up in the instrumental assault on the past. Hank continued his life in the South, enlisting in the U.S. Civil War, beginning on the side of the Confederacy. But due to the flux in the temporal timeline, he received word that a Confederacy victory would just strengthen the numbers of, of those of African descent in the American front on the Dark War. The future explained that they would need to destroy those of African descent in a different way. He then switched allegiance and fought for the Union, also gaining valuable experience in the maritime army of the U.S. Navy, whatever. All right. <laughs> some sort of boat some, army. Some sort of boat army. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. He did other various small things, but before long, he trekked back to Europe where he would be most influential in his assault on the timeline. It was under the guise of journalism that he became able to infiltrate more areas with funding. Now, the accounts are correct, and his journal entries were often exaggerated or tempered depending on the situation. He was known for his secrecy and enigmatic relationship to the natives of Africa. His most famous of expeditions began because of the Dark War, because the Dark War was lost, because in the timeline, the Europeans tried to take the Congo by force, but but was met with tons of opposition and never were able to see the ins and outs of that area. This would prove costly, as this is where the African Middle Eastern resistance to the hegemony that is Western civilization was born and rooted. 
his mission under the guise of finding Dr. David Livingston, which was perfect for his chance to completely explore the African stronghold before it began to take shape. It It was determined that if the African consortium found the trillium as planned in 2238, it would spell the death of the European race. It would take that long for the technology to be able to detect that element. His historic encounter finding Livingston was all by happenstance. He was studying the terrain, looking at where Trillium was first mined, caught up in the... In following the trail, he stumbled across a small tribe. He was completely taken aback when he stumbled into an encampment and immediately noticed a white man. Immediately he remembered why he was there and took a guess. Dr. Livingston, I presume? (laughs) And the rest is a new timeline history. After gathering this information and submitting an encrypted message back to the future in the form of a book entitled How I Found Livingston, Travels, (laughs) Adventures, and Discoveries (laughs) in Central Africa. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? Like they're just completely long winded, no subtle, no succinctness to them at all. Uh, He received orders again to work directly with King Leopold II of Belgium. Also, I feel like that book title is kind of a spoiler. Like, maybe save the part about finding Livingston until you're actually reading the book. Yeah. Right. Searching well, for Livingston. It's like a prequel to Searching for Sugarman. Or Bobby Fischer. Yeah. Or Bobby Fischer. <laughs> Searching for people is great. Finding people is boring. That's why I'm a book executive. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give me this trash, Stanley. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so he received orders again to work directly with King Leopold II of Belgium to help claim the Congo for him. While Leopold wasn't part of the 316, he was an instrumental pawn in the next phase of destruction of the African threat in the Dark War. This was, much more, this was a much more difficult task and one that completely tarnished his name. But who cares about a name when you're at war? He did what he had to do. He was there to offer relief to Emin Pasha, but we know it was all under the guise of controlling a territory. He used this time to falsify claims of agreement by the natives to allow the British Empire to have legitimacy to his rule in the land. This was a major blow in the success of his war over four centuries into the future as the British Empire became stronger and eventually created a new world order, the European Confederation, that would lead them into battle against the African Consortium. So he then died on Earth (laughs) in the same timeline, a hero and all that good jazz and all that type of stuff. His efforts have been instrumental in the Dark War. The 316 are still around to this day, hiding in plain sight. Uh, Trillium has already been discovered thanks to the expeditions of Hank. It is the guard part- It is part of the God particle, which you may know as the Higgs boson particle <laughs> that activates. <laughs> as the Higgs boson particle that activates the element to create massive amounts of power. CERN is the site of this, and the tests. <laughs> it's Got it. You got to wrap it up. CERN is the site of this and the tests that they are running currently are helping them to create a temporal gateway between the future and the past. This is helping to turn the tide and the destruction of the African consortium. The three, the 316 are those that have created the phenomenon of the Mandela effect. All right. That's it. Wow. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Shit. <laughs> When you said you weren't sure how that would go, like, was it, like, was it expecting, like, an actually, like, good sci-fi, yeah. like, novella? Yeah. 
who knows however that went but that was fun that was fun i had a great yeah. time writing that yeah um so zach uh you're gonna be judging this episode but before we do that uh i just want to say real quick that you can always ask us a question or leave us a comment on revisionistpodcast.com uh and follow us on social media uh facebook twitter instagram um uh also burp can edit that out uh also write a review of the podcast on itunes which is uh crazy helpful and uh our patreon page is still up and i want to thank uh two people for donating uh jen colic and jenny vaughn for donating um be sure to check out our sweet uh sweet reward options um <clears throat> and i guess the other announcement is um that we are sort of in the very early stages of building a podcast network with a few other shows around Denver. Uh, we're still ironing out the details, so I don't want to like plug the network specifically yet, but the other shows involved are like, are great. Uh, Changing Denver is on it, uh, which just won the uh, Westward uh, Award, Best of Denver for Best Podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, Left Hand, Right Brain with J.D. Lopez. Mm -hmm. uh, Discover Weekly. Uh, which is a uh, a great music podcast, uh, Real Nerds, which is about movies, and Beyond the Trope. Uh, all really great shows, uh, so check them out. Uh, Jason, also, you you have shows all around town. Um, Absolutely, all yeah. around town. And, Nothing to uh, plug right now, though. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, if you get a chance to see them, uh, go do it. Uh, so, so fantastic, one of my favorites. Um, and then as for me... Uh, Nighttime Tonight at Deer Pile is always the third Thursday of every month. Uh, so that's coming up June 15th. Um, and then uh, May 23rd through 30th, I'll be in Minneapolis. Um, and I got some shows lined up there. New Comic Book Day, uh, Real Shit at the Comedy Corner Underground, and Boy Kisses, uh, and whatever else falls into place. So if you live in the Twin Cities, come check that shit out. Um, okay, Zach. Um, mm-hmm. It's Judgment Day. Oh, very appropriate for the uh, alternate story, actually. Yeah, that <laughs> did right. have something to do with it. Here's what I'm thinking. First of all, uh, obviously this person is a horrible monster. Yep. <laughs> um, both timelines. <laughs> both yeah. timelines. Yeah, he's roughly this. Uh, he's an equivalently horrible monster, and both maybe even a little worse. It's the alternate. Um, <laughs> um, I didn't think that would I, be possible. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, you're kind of right. So, I am a little nervous in the alternate that I'm going to imply that eventually there's going to be a race war. <laughs> um. <laughs> But I won. I actually, I like the amount. I thought it was a really well crafted story. I like the effort that went into it. And since I'm sure one constant of upcoming stories that we're going to cover in this is going to be, as it always is, horrible, imperialist, racist white dudes, I like the idea of having this 316 that can weave in and out uh, as we go. It's been too long since we've had a good thing that can pop up in other stories and i think just to have that little tool in our tool bag that extra bit of flair uh i think i will go with the alternate history this time woohoo yeah hell yeah awesome 
Uh, Jason, thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a, it was a blast. Yeah. Uh, Zach, thank you as always. Yeah, of course. For everyone here at the revision, for everyone here at the revisionist, <laughs> I didn't even leave myself space to edit that out. Uh, I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. Have a good time. <laughs> <laughs>